Hey, don't we have a great band, guys? Let's give them a hand one more time, can we? I'm going to center this thing up and move it back. Um, I did, spoke one time and had somebody tell me that scared them to death half the time they thought I was going to fall off the front of the stage. So if I do, just assume it's under the anointing and I'll be good. We doing good this morning? Y'all ready to have a little fun this morning? For those of you that didn't just say, yeah, you are in the wrong place. Because if you can't come to church and have fun, I mean, I can sit at home and be bored. I can listen to me on, on TV, and we, we thank you guys for joining us uh, online this morning. It's, um, uh, it's a blessing. You know, the Bible tells us that we all have our supply to bring, you know. So I'm just going to ask you guys, where am I at? Right here. Where am I at? Come on. You're killing me. <laughs> no, it's me. Big, giant red light. I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor, can you? Before we get started this morning, I, j- I want you guys just to take just a moment and just be prepared, all right? Come expecting this morning. It doesn't matter. It matters, but it's not as important what I say as to how sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit. And you ask him to be the teacher because the word tells us that he's the teacher that we need. And he'll open up the eyes of your understanding so that you can get what he's got prepared for you this morning. Amen. So do that for me this morning, if you will, because we need your supply. You can hook up through the World Wide Web with us and bring your supply this morning. Amen. All right. Hey, guys, it's good to see you all here. Uh, if you don't mind, don't uh, hear probably about, uh, I would say, 20 to 30 minutes. If you don't mind, just kind of scoot in because there'll be people showing up around 10 o'clock that think it's 9. All right. <laughs> Most of you guys are here this morning, and I appreciate you setting your clock up. I got up this morning, um, same time I always do, kind of a routine kind of guy, and uh, I got ready and, and went and technically woke my boys up. Uh, they're a lot like their mom in a lot of ways. Um, my middle one that just, wow, that turns 11 today, Cole, um, he is, he is, he is my mini me. If you guys know Cole, um, he is just like me in every way. And those of you that knew me when I was his age, he is exactly like me. Uh, but the one thing he does get from his mom, thank you, the one thing he does get from his mom is his love and ability to sleep. I don't care where it is or how long it is. They can sleep like champions. If it's an Olympic sport, the Capshaws are bringing home the gold, okay? But, but so I get ready this morning, and I head down to grab something out of the dryer from, that I threw in last night. And I first walked in because just assuming, like any other 17-year-old, I would need to wake my daughter up because she neglected to set her, her clock ahead. But I opened it up, and there was that, that parent the parental moment of every teenage parent when their child is not in their bed at six o'clock in the morning and you're thinking she has snuck out on me, you know, uh, let me just preface the fact to say that she has never, ever, ever done that in her life. And I didn't think she would, but it ran through my mind. So I'm like, okay, I assume she's downstairs. So I went downstairs, the kid's completely ready, fully dressed, sitting in her nest as we call it, ready to go. So I need you guys to do me a favor and be that ready for church this morning, can you? All right, let's pray and then get into the word. Father, we just thank you for an opportunity to come into your house, Father, to hear your word, Father, and I just ask that your anointing 
be upon this place this morning, Father, that you'll open up the eyes of our understanding so that we may see what you've got for us, Father, that you'll open our ears, Father, so we can hear, incline our ears to your word this morning, Father. I ask that you quicken our spirit, Father, that you make alive our spirit so that we can absorb and receive what you've got prepared for us this morning. So, Father, we thank you. We rejoice. We thank you in advance for the revelation knowledge this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, let's get started this morning. We're going to talk just a little bit about choices in life. Uh, you know, growing up, I've always heard uh, the expression that uh, there's two constants in life, death and taxes. We've all probably heard that, right? Well, in the words of one of my, uh, my Bible school professors, let me submit for your consideration this morning a third one. Doug Jones, you'd be proud of me. Um, little plug. You can send me a book. It's fine. Uh, but let me submit for your consideration a third one this morning. There will always be choices in life. You cannot avoid it. Our lives revolve around making choices. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and you, you say, what do you mean our lives revolve around choices? How many set your clocks forward last night? How many got lucky? <laughs> okay. Um, you chose to set your clock at, well, no, that doesn't, that, no, I had to. That's just the way that society is in cult. No, you had a choice whether or not to set your clock forward. And then at whatever time it was this morning when that alarm went off, you had maybe the biggest choice we all make every single day. Do I get up or do I hit snooze? Or do I continue to hit snooze even after I get up so my alarm's going off while I'm in the shower and my husband's getting ready in the bathroom? My wife made that choice this morning. But she was up and getting ready, so there you go. What am I going to eat today? Am I going to eat breakfast this morning? They say breakfast is the most important part of the uh, most important meal of the day. Are we going to start our day off right? You have a choice in every single aspect and area of your life. Now, some people will say, well, I'm a self-made man. That's a statement, and please hear my heart on this. That's a statement of ignorance. Not, not, not derogatorily. That's a lack of understanding. You may be correct when you say, Pastor John, I, I didn't choose that situation. I didn't choose that circumstance. I didn't choose to go through that difficulty. 100% I agree with you. We'll not debate you on that. Not even remotely. But what I will say is we have a choice of how we're going to handle those situations. You know, I'll talk to my kids all the time, and I'll say, you know, there's, and, and, and I'm guilty of this. That's why my kids learned some of the best uh, lessons in life from me doing it wrong. You know, parents out there chuckle, and you laugh because it's true. We desire to do everything right, and, and, and the best example for our kids, but many times... We just don't. We don't make that right choice, you know. Uh, but, uh, but my kids will, uh, they'll see me do things and they'll see me make mistakes. But I got to own up to those mistakes. And I said, no, no, no. This didn't happen because God put me through this. This happened because there's real world consequences for the choices that we make. I need you to, parents, I, I need you to make sure your kids understand that. It ain't God's fault. I know that's not good grammar. It's not God's fault. 
we have real-world consequences for the choices we make. And we're going to look at a couple of these uh, today throughout the Bible. Um, don't consider myself a, a great orator, a great teacher, but I do consider myself a servant of God. So today, I'm going to let him do the talking, all right? We're going to get into his word a little bit and look at some, some of those examples, much like I have portrayed to my kids. I've done some things right, made some good choices, done some things wrong, made wrong choices. Let's go to the scriptures and look at this. You know, we look over in Numbers chapter 13. You can flip over to uh, verse 30. We'll get here in just a second. But the story here we'll kind of summarize is when uh, God has delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's literally gift-wrapped, handed them the land of Canaan. And what was his charge to them? What did he tell them to do? Go, go and enter. Take the land. It's yours. You ain't got to do nothing except walk through those gates. Go take the land. Now, we sit here, and, and we'll get a directive from God sometimes or just something that, that settles in our spirit that we know God's told us or called us to do. And we'll say, yeah, but. The children of Israel said, yeah, but. More specifically, Moses God's like, all right, fine. <laughs> Take one from every tribe. Take a leader from every tribe. Send them in. Check it out. And here, here, here's my interpretation of what God's doing here. Because I've, I've done this with my kids. I've done this with many people. And, and I'll say, hey, we need to do this. Or you guys should do this. And they're like, yeah, but. And I'll say, fine then. Just do this or check this out. Test this out just to make sure so it settles well with you so you're comfortable about the, the decision that's being made here. And so, you know, they'll, they'll kind of test the waters. Well, the children of Israel did the same thing. So they sent the 12 spies uh, in. Hopefully most of you know the story. If not, they sent the 12 spies in to check out the land. And sure enough, there were, uh, like, the, like it says, the land's flowing with milk and honey. There's literally grapes the size of your head. Now, my youngest son, Carter, Brother Carter, that boy can put some grapes away. We had Cole's birthday party yesterday, and, and my wife rocked out a, a beautiful, I'm not even charcuterie. Close enough. That's a scary word to say on camera, let me just tell you. Uh, she had one of those boards made up, and it was great. And obviously it was, it was not just beautiful because it was completely gone by the end of the day. But one of the items on there were grapes. You know, and they're all decorated on there, all pretty and and, and elegant and hostingly pleasant. I don't know. Uh, I'm a guy. I just eat. And, and so, so these things were on there. And one of the items that were on there were grapes, specifically green grapes or white grapes. And my son Carter absolutely loves grapes. And he's also obsessed with the color green. So this is the perfect combination for him. Um, so there were two or three stalk stems, whatever, on this board. And then another half a bag. Well, at some point during the day, I'd looked over and Carter's like, Forget the board. I'm just pounding them out of the bag here, okay? So they had grapes in the land of Canaan the size of your head, and they literally said that it took a stalk, like you'd carry, you see the old movies where, where, where the, the natives tie up the, the individual and they're carrying them on the stalk. That's what I picture here is they're carrying just the grapes back. That's some serious godly grapes, guys, all right? So sure enough, the spies came back and they said, absolutely, it's just like you said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that we could have ever imagined and so much more. 
Yeah, but. Yeah, but. There's giants in the land. <clears throat> you think that caught God off, off, off guard or surprised him? No. That never changed the fact that he told them to go. That never changed that. They chose to be intimidated. They chose to look at the things of the world, the circumstances, instead of focusing on God and what he had told them to do. My youngest, Carter, is very, very literal. If you guys know him, you know this. So someone will tell him something being sarcastic or being um, just kind of joking around. And he doesn't understand that a lot of times, most of the time. And I'll tell him, I'm like, nobody, that's, that's not what we need to do. Here's, here's, they were just playing or whatever. Here's what I need you to do. And he'll go, yeah, but I, in your life, Carter, I am your authority. <laughs> I will never do anything to hurt you. I will never do anything to lead you astray. I will never do anything to bring harm upon you. I will never do anything to cause you not to succeed if I can control it. Well, your heavenly father also sits there and said, don't worry about what so-and-so said. Don't worry about what you've got, you think you've got to do. You do what I've called you to do. You make the choice to follow me. I'll take care of your circumstances. Amen? Man, it's not even the meat of what we're getting into today. So the, the, 12, the 12 came back, and they said, yeah, but God. Joshua and Caleb, let me read it here. Verse 30 out of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, chapter 13 of Numbers. Now I said my three, right? Verse 30, it says, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Anybody else see a church meeting up in here? Oh, yeah, but so-and-so, well, we got to do this. We got to wear this mask. We don't wear this mask. Caleb said, y'all just chill out for a second. Y'all need to settle down and let's focus. Because you're getting your eyes off what you've been told by your authority to do. Verse 30, uh, excuse me, the second part, um, Let's just do 30 again. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Here's what Caleb said. Read now the New Living Translation. Verse 30 of chapter 13 of Numbers. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We certainly can conquer it. Now, did Caleb not see the giants? Did Caleb not see the, the, uh, the fortified cities? Did Caleb miss that? Was he... I don't know, on a snack break when they went through that area? No. But he had the word from God that said, go take the land. You know, we sang that song. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what set they were singing today. We sang that second song, and they played it again at offering. It speaks a better word. Man. Nick, man, you were on with the anointing of that set this morning, bud. The whole band was. Verse 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. They've not even gone against each other yet. But they were looking at their circumstances and began to assume that they're stronger, that they're bigger. Verse 33 drives me crazy. Verse 32, so they spread this bad report. 
We can stop right there and have an altar call. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. Verse 33. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and next to them we, what's that word? We felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. <laughs> um, we've talked about I've not always made the smartest decisions in life. Um, I am very much like Cole, like I said, or he's very much like I was. And I a lot of times allowed my mouth <laughs> to be my downfall. I don't know how many times someone has looked at me and said, you don't know what I'm thinking. You know, when I said, oh, yeah, well, you thought, blah, blah, mm, you don't know what I'm thinking. The children of Israel said, and that's what they thought too. I could just see Joshua and Caleb sitting back here shaking their head going, you don't know what they thought. They're probably scared to death because the people of the Lord that they know are coming after them are at the gate. And they're just, they're, they're sweating bullets because they, we've sent 12 of them. Little do they know we got a million sitting back here. Make the right choice. Because of the choice the children of Israel made, they had two different opinions or two different stories, reports, if you will. Joshua and Caleb's report and the other 10. You want to talk about importance when you read stuff? Look at who's named, whether it's in modern literature or whether it's in the Bible. Yes, there's that place back up the beginning there of verse 13 where it does go through and list the ten. But throughout the rest of this, this part of the story, it just refers to them as the ten. But the author here makes the denotion to bring Joshua and Caleb to the fore. Because as the Bible says, whose report are we going to believe? So Joshua and Caleb, they presented their report, and the other ten said, absolutely, exactly what he said, but here's this and this and this. And then the children of Israel were presented with two options, and they chose to listen to the ten. Sometimes going with the majority isn't always the best choice. Whether it's one or 100, you need to be relying on, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide, lead, and direct you when you make your choices. Amen. So the children of Israel, because of the choice that they had made, they disqualified themselves from the blessings that the Lord had for them. Even though the children of Israel made the wrong choice, God still honored Joshua and Caleb's choice. They were the only ones that were allowed to enter. Let's read it in Numbers chapter 14, verse 36 and 30 through 38. It says, then the ten, excuse me, the ten men that Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with, the, with their bad report, verse 37. This is not God's choice. These are the consequences because of the choices that they made. Verse 37, they were struck dead with the plague before the Lord. Verse 38, of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua 
and Caleb remained alive. There's no such thing as a little choice in your life. Oh, I don't want to bother God with this. You better bring your choices to God. Now, use some common sense. I think I broke my arm. I better check with God. Go to the doctor. That's free. That doesn't even cost you anything. Again, Genesis chapter 22. It's the story of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac. You know, God came to, to Abram before he changed his name. And he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Cat's in his late 80s, 90s at this point, And he's going, this ought to be good. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. But God was faithful. We'll skip ahead here. And he honored, he honored his promise to Abraham. And he gave, he gave him the son that he had intended for him to have. Now, Abraham jacked up a few things along the way and tried to do some things himself instead of relying on the Lord. Man, we got all kinds of stuff we're ready for this altar call. And then he gave him Isaac. And his life is complete. Abraham's like, I can do Nothing else in life, and I am satisfied, Lord. Lord's like, man, I'm so excited. That, that warms my heart to hear that. Now do me a favor. I want you to take him up and sacrifice him to me. He goes, oh, I'll give him to your service. He goes, no, 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 no. Take your good knife. Go up on the mountain. Get you a bundle of wood. Take his life. Um. Am I good? Okay, trust me. Um, Katie and I had uh, quite a bit of difficulty um, getting pregnant when we got married. Waited a few years because we were young. We're only in our 30s now. Um, (laughs) No. Um, We were young when we got married. uh, And so we waited a few years. We used some common sense, asked the Lord. And we got to the point to where we said, yeah, we're, we're ready to have children. So we were trying to have kids. And just, just wasn't happening, you know, for whatever one circumstance after another, one reason after another. But Katie and I knew that God had promised us children. Um, and what, seven years into our marriage, we had Claire. It was amazing. I had daddy's little girl. Um, I remember the, uh, she was born in June of 2003. Christmas of 2002, we had to make two trips per grandparent just to get all the stuff home. She's like negative three months old at this time here. So I knew we were in for it with her. And uh, a beautiful 17-year-old girl now, almost, golly, almost 18. And you are old, Katie. Um, but... Uh, but we, uh, um, we had Claire, and we knew that, that we weren't done. We knew. Um, God had kind of settled it in our spirit um, that we weren't done. Um, so we continued uh, to try and, and have more children and uh, miscarriage after miscarriage. 
um, just various different circumstances. They hurt. They're frustrating. You get a little, you get mad. You get angry. You go through every emotion that you could possibly think of. And then along came Cole. And we were like, that's it. Thank you, God. But something just wouldn't set in our spirit. Katie's like, I want another one. God said I could have another one. The doctors didn't. But whose report are you going to believe? So we continued. Another miscarriage. But we knew God's promise. Another miscarriage. Uh, A midterm miscarriage at that. While in Bible school. With our three-year-old. You can't have any more kids. But God said you can. Now, we're not 99-year-old Abraham and Sarah. But God delivered. (laughs) Love you, Miss Rhonda. But God delivered on his promises. And we got our rainbow baby, as they call it. And we got Carter. Now, we're in the hospital giving, she's, Katie's giving birth, and she goes, I'm done. (laughs) That set well with her spirit. So Abraham obeys, and he takes Isaac up on the mountain. And he said, God, you gave Isaac to me. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to give him back. Here's my thought on it. I think Abraham chose to obey because he knew one of two things were going to happen. Either he was going to take his son's life and God was going to raise him back from the dead or God would provide a way and he would deliver. Which as we continue in the story, we know is what happened. I mean, he's knife up, ready to, ready to strike. An angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, thank you, Father. I made the choice to follow the direction and obey my heavenly father. And you provided and you delivered. Thank you, father. Thank you, father. Even when the choice may not make sense in the natural, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll make a way for you. Now, does every example in the Bible get it right? No. Let's jump to the big one that most of you are probably sitting there thinking of. Jonah. (laughs) Jonah was a prophet. Starts out, I love it. The very first verse of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read 1 through 3 here. God gave the plan to Jonah. What's it say? The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of that guy. I love some of these Hebrew names. These are great. Verse 2. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Verse 3. Jonah made his choice. We're three verses into an entire book of the Bible. And Jonah's already made a choice that will determine destiny and that will echo through the halls of eternity. Verse 3. But Jonah got up And went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. 
He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarsus. How many times have you seen, there's a, there's a little meme gif that's running around out there, been out there for years. Um, little girl, she's coming down the hall. She's probably three or so cute little girl walking down through there. And something that, uh, I, I believe it's, uh, it, it's the Easter bunny, if I'm not mistaken, uh, coming up on the Easter season, comes walking around the corner and she's with her little Easter basket and she's like, nope, I'm out. And she turns around and head the other way. I can see Jonah just kind of minding his own business one day. The angel of the Lord says, Jonah, through, through, through a voice, says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, nope, and I'm out. And turned around and went the other way. Did that change the fact that Jonah had a choice to make? No, just because God said it, Jonah still had a choice to make. God had a plan, you know, it says, we read Jeremiah 29, 11 all the time. My life verses, they call it. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. But we still have a choice whether or not to follow those plans. Amen? Story goes on. Um, Jonah gets on this boat selling to Tarshish, and a great storm comes up. What a coincidence, right? So this great storm, hurricane-like storm comes up. And these poor guys on this boat, the sailors and captain are like, who the heck ticked off God? Who did this? So they literally had a meeting, and they began to, as they say, draw lots. Or basically, here's what it is. They took a manifest of everybody on board, and they started saying, okay, what have you got going on in your life right now? Okay, you're good. Cross them off. They narrowed the process down. Only guy left was Jonah. So they went to Jonah, and they said, dude, What's the deal? What have you done to anger God? And he said, well, now that you mention it, I made this choice. I made this decision. God said, do this. And I said, no. And they're like, fine, we can solve this. Throw him overboard. Did God throw him overboard into a raging storm? Mm -mm. The men did. Why did the men do this? Because of the choice that Jonah made. They didn't throw him overboard because God said go to Nineveh. They threw him overboard because of the choice that he made to disobey the voice of the Lord. His consequences were brought in the real world because of a choice that he made. So anyway, he's out in this storm and he's like, I, I know this is it. I'm, I'm going to die. And then what happened? He got swallowed up by a well. Anybody ever seen one of these things in real life? A well, and they're like, which kind of well? Does it matter? These things are huge. So he's hanging out in the belly of this well for a few days, and it literally says he's down in the belly, wrapped in seaweed, and about to die. And then all of a sudden, what does God do? Has the well spit him out. Now, what I love about this story, one of the things I love about this story, is the well spits him out in Nineveh. Could have saved a lot of gastric juices and time, and it couldn't have smelled good. You could have saved all that by just making a better choice and getting on the boat going to Nineveh instead of the boat going to Tarshish. So Jonah's sitting here, and he's like, fine, whatever. I will do what you told me to do. 
Sound familiar? We've gone through everything. We made our choice. We've gone through everything, and the world's falling apart on us. And then we just go, fine. I'll do what you told me to. Fine. Now, I don't think Jonah was too happy about it, but here's how God works, guys. So many times we say, well, God brought the storm. God caused Jonah to do this. God caused Jonah to get eaten by God caused, mm -mm. God had a plan for Jonah. So even in Jonah's disobedience, God protected Jonah. Should have died in the boat. Should have died when they threw him in the sea. Should have died in the belly of a giant fish. I can only imagine the velocity that he was um, hurled onto the beach with. Now, here's the easy part for God. When that happened and Jonah finally came around going, I better do what God said. The people see the prophet of the Lord being vomited up on the beach. Jonah didn't have to open his mouth. They're like, I'll do it. I'll turn. I'm sorry. I repent. God still had a plan. God still had a plan, and he protected the messenger, even, even in his disobedience. Real quick, we'll head to the, the end here. Turn with me, if you will, if you've got your Bibles, if you've not been following. I think Jamie will probably chase you on the screen with this. Turn over to Daniel chapter 1. Talk to you a little bit about um, kind of a real-world situation that, that it seems like we live in. You're like a real-world situation from the Old Testament of the Bible? Yeah, yeah. You know, just like with my kids, they learn from seeing Katie and I do things, whether right or wrong. You know, somebody told me one time, it said, the best example that a kid or the best lessons a kid can learn in life is when they fail at something or something doesn't go in their favor. Yes, we can learn from our experiences, but how much better is it when we learn from somebody else's? So we don't have to suffer. So we don't have to go through hardship. But now the question is, are you going to learn those lessons? There's a difference between knowing and learning or knowing and understanding. I can know. You can give me a manual. I know how to drive a, a backhoe. But you put me in that seat, it's going to be humorous. You better have a camera ready. Because somebody's going to win America's Funniest Home Videos. Are those even on anymore? But just kind of summarize here. The first seven verses of this kind of set the story up. Um, now, it, it says in there that, that the Lord allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to overtake Judah and to take some of the, the sacred items out of the temple back to Babylon with him. And it's, it also says in there that he took, uh, he instructed his, his chiefs, his captains, he says, I want you to take captive all of the, the wise, um, the young, the strong uh, men to serve in my court. Obviously, just kind of jumping through here. And, and so they did as King Nebuchadnezzar instructed. And then in, uh, in verses 8 through 14, um, we, get, we get to know better or, or we learn four young men. Uh, one's name was Daniel. One was Hananiah. One was Meshach, and the other was Azariah. Of course, you know them as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or for all of you parents that, whose kids have grown up on Veggie Tales, Rackshack and Benny. 
But um, uh, if you do not know what I'm talking about, go on to Right Now Media, which you can get free of charge to you uh, through Family Worship Center. Just go to familywc.com slash media, click on, and it'll send you an invite. Uh, an invite. That was my plug for Right Now Media. Uh, so, so we'll call them Daniel and the boys just to kind of summarize this. Verse 8, it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. So the king and his men had come in and they said, hey, look, we're going to rename you. Yeah, you're called by God to be X, but we're going to rename you. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm making that choice. Hang on, guys. I'm struggling here. Thank you, brother. God created you who you are. Where's my camera? God created you to be who you are. Don't let society, don't let the world, don't, tell, don't let culture tell you that you're something different. Male, female, boy, girl, God created you for a purpose. Don't let society tell you differently. You told me to. Verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief, uh, the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid, the chief of staff responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Real world consequences to decisions there, guys. Verse 11, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had, appointed, who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision or then make your choice in light of what you see. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So right off the bat, they're new into this new kingdom, and Daniel knows that God has given them a vision and a purpose for their life. And this new uh, uh, authority figure has come in and said, here's the food that we need you to eat. We need you to be strong and healthy. The king needs to use you in his service. Daniel's like, fine, but I'm not going to eat your food. I'm not going to drink your wine. I'm going to do what God has instructed me to do. I'm going to make the choice not to defile myself. And so they're like, okay, Fine, you do it your way, and we'll prove to you. So Daniel said, all right, 10 days, come back, check it out. So he had been given favor with the, with the guy that was given charge over them. And then they came back in 10 days, and they realized they're fitter, they're in better health, they're stronger, because they chose the vegetables and water. Now, did the vegetables and water, is that the reason that they were better and healthier and more fit? Or could it be because they made a choice to obey their heavenly father? The choice that they made allowed God to be able to use them. God can use, do whatever he wants. 
but he's given you the choice to be his mouthpiece. You know, it's, um, they, they, I'll call them Daniel and the boys again. Daniel and the boys had an understanding that we don't even learn about until we get over into John. The last few weeks, uh, Dr. Mike Courtney has been doing an amazing job walking us through and teaching us through, really, the true Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. And, and I believe Daniel and the boys ha- had a revelation of this. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 16 said, uh, I have given them, this is Jesus literally praying to his heavenly Father, talking about his disciples. Uh, it says, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Here, here, check this out, guys. Just as I do not belong to the world. So now Jesus is putting us in the same category with him. We may be in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not created by this world. We are created by God the Father who's giving us our purpose, who's giving us our vision, who's giving us our directive. Verse 15, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. Keep them safe from the evil world. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. And I think Daniel and the boys had a revelation that they did not belong to this world, much less the Babylonian Empire. But they knew that they had to serve in this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 um, out of the New American Standard Version, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm sure you guys, most of you know it, can quote it, have heard it for years. I love how it reads out of the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by how? Changing the way you think. God's given you a mind, and he wants you to transform it to his ways so that when you make decisions in life, they're based on the direction of the heavenly father and not the circumstances of this world. Amen? Let's keep rolling here. Sorry. Daniel chapter 2. So now the king has a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Martin Luther King had a different dream, right? Daniel chapter 2 verse 1. I love what it says here. It says, one night during the second year of his reign. We'll jump to the story. But it starts off and it says, one night. This wasn't an entirety of a man's life that we were working up to. It was one night. He had a dream. And this dream was just so befuddling to him. He couldn't understand what his dream meant. Saw this 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 statue soldier that was made out of multiple different types of um, materials from iron to bronze to clay and he just couldn't figure out what it meant and he went to all of his wise men and all of his his uh, truth seekers and, and and his his magicians even and nobody could figure out what it meant nobody could figure it out so king nebuchadnezzar said fine you're no good to me i should kill y'all I'm going to take it one step further to make sure this doesn't happen again. I want you to go out and I want you to kill all of the wise men and the, even the Hebrew that we just captured. So now, Daniel and the boys are under a little bit of duress because the, 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 the man, the captain that's in charge of killing them has shown up at Daniel's door and he's knocking on the door. And he said, hey, what's going on? He says, here's what's going on. 
and he tells him about the king's dream. And he said, because nobody can figure it out, we're just going to kill you all. Sounds illogical. Daniel said, now hang on just a minute. Give us a chance. Give us a chance. So he's like, well, yeah, but the king said. He goes, let me talk to the king. So Daniel goes and talks to the king, and he says, give me a little more time. We'll figure your dream out. King's like, fine, what can it hurt? So Daniel goes back. I love this. Daniel goes back to the boys, and he said, guys, here's the situation. It's time to hit our knees. The world can't figure out this problem. The world doesn't have an answer. The world doesn't have a solution. We got to go to the creator. So I'm asking you to join me, Daniel says. I'm asking you to join me seeking the Lord for the answer to this dream. Meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar's men are still going around killing all these other wise men, okay? So as you guys know in the story, Daniel comes back to the king, and he said, here's the answer to your dream. Here's here's what your dream means. And the king said, this is incredible. This is amazing. And he exalted them. And Daniel said, I'm going to read it here. Verse 27 and 28 of chapter 2. Verse 27 says, you can pull it up from Jamie. It says, Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. In verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I'll tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you laid in your bed. So Daniel had an opportunity to say, that's right. Me and my boys, we got this one right. But he said, no. There's no one on, on earth. There's not a man. There's not a magician. There's not a fortune teller. Because this came from the heavenly father. And he's the one that has the answer. So Daniel gave glory He chose to give glory for what God had revealed in him. So Daniel and the boys, they were rewarded, and they were set in high places of authority. And you're thinking, man, this is good. They made the best choices in life. Everything's rolling for them. Yeah, but. When we pick up the story in chapter 3, for those of you guys that have Seen the VeggieTales version, the uh, giant chocolate statue. That would have been so much better. But King Nebuchadnezzar created this gold statue. He said, this is awesome. Look how great my kingdom is. I'm going to build a giant statue of me. Kind of like uh, when you go to a sporting event and they've got the legends of the team sitting out front. You know, Everybody honors that and worships that. But where would that talent come from? Where did the the blessings that Babylon was receiving come from? Where was the answer to this dream, this vision? Where did it come from? 
Where did the, 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 the province, where did the provision that they were experiencing come from? It came from obedience to follow the direction of the Lord. I love verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews, talking about when the sounds would play and they wouldn't bow down and worship the golden statue that he had created. Um, I, I see my boys in this scripture. Um, typically, Cole is doing something probably that he shouldn't be doing. And Carter feels that it's his brotherly, familiar duty to let us know. <laughs> um, so Carter will come in and he'll go, uh, yeah, well, Cole is blah, blah, and I'll stop him. I'm like, are you tattletelling on Cole? Uh, well, no, but, and then he'll continue. So, yes, he is. So, I love the fact here that it says, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. So, basically, the, the astrologers are tattletelling on Daniel and the boys, that they won't bow down and worship the king's statue that he created. Uh, verse 11, it says, the boys were persecuted for the choice they had made, that the decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province. I love how they try to blame it on the king. You put them in charge, king. Come on. God made a way. To whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I have set up? Verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, if you refuse, get a clue. They ain't going to refuse. Are you willing to look society in the face and say, get a clue. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not changing the direction that God has put me and set my feet on. I have made, uh, uh, worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately. Now, the king is already second-guessing himself because he should have already had him thrown in the fire. He said, I'll give you one more chance. Then... I'm going to immediately throw you into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able, able to rescue you from my power? Has this guy been sleeping the last however many years? I love the fact here, verse 16, where the boys kind of doubled down on their, on their choice that they had made. Verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. We do not need to defend ourselves for the direction that the Lord has called the church. We don't have to be the ones saying, well, I'm sorry if this offends you. I I'm sorry if you don't agree with my beliefs. I'm sorry... The church has said sorry long enough. It's time that we be bold. It's time that we take a stand 
and we make a choice, we make a conscious decision to do what the Lord's called us to do and to follow his direction. Band, if you guys want to start heading up. Verse 17, even if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Much like Abraham said, even if his life is taken, I know you'll raise him up, Lord. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. In verse 18, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> you know, so many times we do stuff and we say, yeah, but <laughs> we need to get our butt out of the situation and put God's butt in. You can laugh, but listen. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, crystal clear, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. Never serve your gods. And the golden statue that we've set up. How many times are we ever faced in life with a decision that's comfortable or easy? And that's been our choice instead of the difficult side because we know where God's called us. my opinion we've taken the word content and we've substituted it with complacent God's not called us to be passive his word says the righteous take it like a bold line take it by force Verse 19 through 24. The boys are thrown into the fire. They're bound up. The king has made the, the fire seven times hotter. So hot, in fact, that the soldiers that threw them in were instantly struck dead. And then as King Nebuchadnezzar peered into the fire, into the fiery furnace, he said, Didn't we throw three guys in? Yes, king. Well, now I see four and one of them looks like the son of God Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were faced with a life and death choice because of their faith and they said my God will deliver but even if he doesn't I'm still going to serve him You know, a lot of times, you may be wondering what this is sitting up here doing. Got an anvil, hammer, a blacksmith. When you're working with metal, precious metals, gold, silver, steel, whatever it is. You know, we, we see, we, we'll go to the Wilson County Fair. Love it. My boys love going through the blacksmith shop, seeing them pound out the, the, the nails or the knives or, you know, whatever they're making. It's, a, it's amazing to watch these individuals. But all the skill in the world can't shape anything until it's refined by fire I can remember when I uh, we were youth pastoring down in, in South Georgia 
having a youth Bible study one night, and I was horsing around with one of the, the teenagers, and we were fake karate fighting. Um, but apparently we didn't talk about our script in time. He went for a kick. I went for a block. Broke my finger to the point to where it swole up. I had to cut my ring off. Katie was not happy about that. But then I took the ring in. Because I missed my wedding ring. It's precious to me. So I took it in. And he said, well, when you cut it, you entered in different types of metal from the, the snips that I'd used to cut it. He goes, so now it's not, it's not pure gold. It's not what it was designed to be. So he couldn't just, for layman's terms, weld it back together. But what he did do was he was able to melt it. He heated it up. And depending on the metal, you have to reach a certain temperature. Catch me now. For those impurities to be burned off. Even if my God won't deliver me from the fire. When those trials by fire come in your life, don't look at it and say, I can't believe this is happening. Look to your refiner and say, God, take away what doesn't belong in my life. Because I know what you've called me. I know the plans and purposes that you've given me in my life. Now I need you to, to refine me so that then and only then you can shape me into what you've called me to be. So here's what I want to do today. I've asked Shannon and some of our prayer team just to kind of be up here at the front. If you've been through fire in your life, if you're struggling in your life, whatever that situation looks like, but maybe most importantly, if you've struggled and you don't know the answer, well, let me introduce you to the answer today. And his name is Jesus Christ. The greatest choice you'll ever make in your life is not what car to buy, what school to go to, where to send your kids to school. But it's the choice to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to open the altars up as, as the band begins to sing. And if you want to make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life this morning, I hear this a lot. Well, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I don't. But you know, Jesus hung on a cross in the public. Jesus made a public profession that he loved you enough to lay down his life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna charge you, I'm gonna encourage you. Take that step this morning. We're gonna stand, we're gonna worship. But I encourage you, take that step. Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You can see any of our, our team up here. And then the other side of that is if you've got some things that you're struggling with and you're going through in life, I want to open these altars up. Just come down and let the refiner begin to refine you this morning. Just give your heart, pour your heart out to him this morning. Allow him to shape you into what he needs you to be. Will you stand with me this morning?
Shape us what you call us to be. 